You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. And then read down uh, through, through a, part, a portion of chapter 2. Um, just so that you understand, we're not going to get into all of it today, but chapter 2 is, a, is kind of a more detailed look at chapter 1. Most of it is beginning in verse 4 down, but chapters, uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 are right after creation. So what we see what God does right after creation, and then we kind of take a step back and we review a little bit of the creation account. Look at chapter 1, verse 31. It says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them... And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work, which God created and made. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth uh, when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens and every plant of the field before it was in the earth and every herb of the field before it grew. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth and there was not a man to till the ground. But there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. We've covered that verse some already. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed, and out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That's the first time we read about that tree. And a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from thence it was parted and became into four heads. The name of the first is Pison, that, that is uh, it which passeth the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. There is Delium and the onyx stone. And the name of the second river is Gihon. The same is, is it that compasseth the whole land of Ethiopia. And the name of the third river is Hittichel. That is it which goeth toward the east of Assyria. And the fourth river is Euphrates. And the Lord God took the man and put him, in the garden, uh, put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And I want you to take special attention to these next two verses, which is why I read the text here. And the Lord God commandeth the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. When God created, he meant for there to be rest. He meant for it to be done, completed, finished. But because man couldn't obey one commandment, the rest that God intended was interrupted. We're going to talk today about how you can rest from your labor. Appreciate the message of that song. And uh, that is the only place we can have hope is in the Lord. And we need to be reminded of that often. It's a cruel thing to do to preach about rest on Time Change Sunday, isn't it? How many of you are feeling it a little bit this morning? You lost an hour of sleep and... uh, it takes me a couple days usually, and uh, I mean, it's cruel to talk about rest on Time Change Sunday. It's also cruel to just talk about rest in church, period, because I know sometimes this might be the best nap some of you get all week. So, you know, I don't want to encourage you to rest today, 
But we need rest. And I'm not just talking physically, um, although that's true too. My family and I just recently got back from vacation and we had a great time together. Could you turn me down just a little bit, Brother Mike? We spent some time um, in Florida. We enjoyed some good weather. We, we went to the ocean one afternoon and let the kids splash around in the water. We, we found seashells and saw a couple of jellyfish. And it was, you know, for us, uh, you know, Midwestern people that are, you know, we live in the flyover states, they say. You don't get to see the ocean very much. It was a good experience. We, we spent some time in a couple of theme parks and made some good memories. It was great. Well, the funny thing about the trip is... And maybe this, has ever, maybe this has happened to you, maybe it hasn't, but I came back more tired than when I left. You ever spend a vacation like that? We had a few circumstances affect our trip home, and we were going to leave on a Thursday morning, and we ended up staying basically a whole day longer than we planned, and we didn't end up leaving Orlando until about 7 o'clock Orlando time on a Thursday night. So then you're kind of in no man's land. You're like, how far do we drive? Should we just keep on going? We, we got to Atlanta just after midnight, and, and uh, Atlanta's a huge, big, scary place. We're like, you know what? Let's not stop here. Let's keep moving. And we ended up driving through the night and uh, with, some, with some help some, from caffeine and sunflower seeds, which is my road trip tradition. Uh, we pulled into Sioux Falls the next night about 7 or 8 o'clock, our time here. After that 25-hour trip or so, I did not walk um, into my home and say, wow, I feel so rested from that relaxing vacation. Maybe you've been there before. You go on vacation and you come back feeling like you need a vacation from your vacation. You know, that trip is an illustration of a larger problem for the average person. And that is they desire to find rest, but Many times our own plans get in the way of the rest we could have. And I'm talking, this is true physically. We live in a world which seems to be busier than ever. You would have thought, and it used to be in the, in the, in, in the early days before technology really took off, people would predict we would have you know 15-hour work weeks because technology would do so much for us to take it off of our plate. And, and you would have thought that we would be that much more efficient and more peaceful. But the to-do list never gets shorter. And it seems like there's, enough, there's never enough time in the day to get it all done, and there are not enough days to get, get it done. And rest always just seems beyond our reach. And all we need sometimes, if you're like me, sometimes you think, all I need, I just need a nap. You know, when I was a kid, I, I couldn't stand naps. When, and my son is the same way. He'll just about start to cry when you tell him it's nap time. He's seven years old, and you know, it's so ironic when, when you're young and you can take naps, you don't want to. But when you're old and you want to take naps, you don't get to. The rest is hard to find. That's the point I'm trying to make. It, but not just physically, it's also hard to find spiritually. See, the internal, internal turmoil in people's lives is not easily remedied, but there's turmoil everywhere. There's no peace and, and no rest in the average person's life. And they look for rest in all kinds of places. And, and they try to find what that which settles them in a relationship. And they think, well, if I have this relationship, then that would solve my problems. Or, or they, they get involved in these activities and think, this will give me rest. Or they buy these possessions. Or they have this car or this house. And they think, this will help me. This will satisfy me. And, and when those things don't happen, some people turn to substance abuse. And they think, 
well, in the middle of all the turmoil that I have, I can maybe find some, a break from it, a rest from it, if I can just forget about it all. I was talking to somebody just this week who came from that lifestyle, and, and, and they were talking about how, how they just wanted to get away from the pressure and, and away from the turmoil and away from the unrest, and they turned to things like a substance that they abuse, and it doesn't provide the rest they think it will. Some even try to find their rest in religion. Now, I'm not against religion. I, I obviously, I'm a pastor of a church. I think religion is, is good, but it's not about activity, and it's not about outward circumstances or outward activity. It is about a relationship, not religion. You, you will not find satisfaction if all you are is religious. You will only find satisfaction in a relationship with Jesus Christ. People are searching for rest, and they do anything to find it. But the only rest that we will ever have starts with the work of God. See, it's kind of like you, if you are searching, and you've done this probably before, where you, know, you type in an address into your GPS, and, and you're trying to find a place, and, and you just cannot seem to track it down, and then you realize after looking and searching that you have the wrong address. See, I believe that that's a good illustration of most people's spiritual lives. And they, they think they'll find rest in this certain location, but they don't realize that they have the wrong address. They, the peace will never be found in that place. The only place to find peace and the only place to find rest is in the finished work of God. See, rest comes after the finished work of God. And we get the first glimpse into this concept of rest here in Genesis chapter 2. And there are two truths about rest that we need to know as we springboard into the thoughts today. And that is we find out that God is a God of rest. And if you're one of those that says, I don't need rest, I don't need time off, I'm just going to keep go, 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 go. And I know people like that. They're workaholics or, and they take pride in that. And listen, I understand working hard is good and it's a noble thing. But our God is a God of rest. Meaning that he sees the value in taking time to consider what has been done. But second, as his people, he wants us to have rest. He wants us to have a settled peace. He wants us to not be in turmoil. He wants you, friend, today. He wants you to have rest. Now, our idea of rest is different than the way we might observe God here in chapter 2. We are limited. We are finite beings. We only have a certain amount of strength or stamina or endurance. We don't have unlimited power, but not God. God is omnipotent. God is all-powerful. And therefore, even if he expends energy on something, understand this, it's hard to wrap our minds around it, but even if God expends energy on something and, and accomplishes a work that is even like creation, something as significant as creation, he sent, spent six days on creation, and that would, that would take, none of us could ever do it, but even if we could, it would take all that we had, and then we would have nothing left. But even God, expending energy on something like creation, he can, he can never become tired because he has all power. And his power is endless. His, his power never diminishes. Isaiah 40, 28 says, Hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? Psalm 121, 4 says, Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. God doesn't need rest like we do. So what's the reason for God's actions on this seventh day? 
Uh, He didn't need vacation. So what does it mean for him to rest? Well, I think that God's purposes for this original seventh day of rest can be seen in three important verbs here. First, it it marked the completion of creation. And look at verse 1. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had made. That first verb, there's two words here that mean the same thing. Verse 1 it says, the, thus the heavens and the earth were finished. Verse 2, and on the seventh day, God ended his work. That verb, finished or ended, means complete. It's done. Creation, basically what it's saying is, after the sixth day or on the sixth day, creation was done. God was done with that creative act, and it was very good. It was complete. It was finished. There was nothing else that was needed. Everything was done on the sixth day. By the way, that indicates one other thing. Uh, many other things, but that, I just want to point out that this mindset or this philosophy about theistic evolution, they say that God created and then he let everything evolve and it turned into something. Uh, it's proven right here that that is a false mindset. God created a mature earth that was already as complete as it should have been. It was finished, it was ended, and it was all good. Second, so it was done. So that's the first verb, is that God ended his work. It was, it was complete. Second, the second verb is that it, it indicated it as a day of rest. Look at verse 2. It says, and on the seventh day God ended his work which he had made, and he rested, there's the other verb, on the seventh day from, which, from all his work which he had made, and God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created Uh, and made. So that's the second verb. First is the word ended. The second is the verb rested. So again, in these verbs, we begin to see God's purpose for this first day. Now, the first part of this message, there'll be a lot of instruction. We're learning, okay? And and you say, I didn't come to church to learn anything. Come on, just preach. No, the part, part of preaching is teaching. It's instructive in nature. It's not just motivational. If it was just motivational, then doctrine wouldn't matter. We come um, because we want to learn something, and in learning things, then we apply them in preaching. So rested, God rested. And that word rested is interesting. It really is the key word here. It, It gives us a glimpse into God's mind toward his work. Rest comes from the Hebrew word, which is Shabbat, which from which we get the word Sabbath. Okay, so Sabbath means rest. It means to cease. I mean, it has less to do with rest. We think of rest like a nap. I want a nap, okay? Uh, We think of rest, and that's rest. But with God, it didn't just mean that he was tired and he needed to lay down. It means that he was done with his work. It means to cease to work. God was not resting out of weariness. It wasn't about him being exhausted and needing to be rejuvenated. The idea really is more this, that you, after you're finished with a work, after you're finished with a product or a project, that you sit back and enjoy that accomplishment or celebrate the completion of, that, of something. That's, that's rest. That's what he's talking about. Uh, one commentator said this, the refreshment is God's refreshment, which arises rather from the joy of achievement than from the relief of fatigue. It's more about the joy of, of achievement instead of the... Of, the relief from fatigue. Have you ever done that? You, you, you worked on a project for a really long time. And you've been working and you've been working on something. And when you finally finish it, 
What do you do sometimes? You just sit back, right? You just sit back and you enjoy what you've done. Now, I'm not saying it's perfect. I'm not even saying it ended up like you wanted it to. But to, to accomplish something, it, there's something in us that's like God because we're made in his image that says after you accomplish, after you complete, after you do something, you cease to work and it's right to just sit back and enjoy it sometimes. If you've ever given yourself to a school project, young people, and you've worked for a long time, young people pay attention this morning. If you've ever given yourself to a school project and, and you work a real long time on something and, and you give yourself to it like a paper uh, it, you give yourself to it and, and, and you put your mind to it and when you finally get done and it's done right and you just want to read it again. Just sit and enjoy it. You ever built something with your hands? I, I was in the garage this week and uh, looking at a truck that the chambers are, are uh, rebuilding and it's, it's looking really good, by the way. You got to go see it. And you know when they get done, I, I think there's probably going to be some time where they just sit and they just look at it and enjoy what, they, what they've done with it. And then they bring it over to my house and let me drive it around. So they might enjoy it too much to let that happen. You build something, you complete something. I remember when when our children, especially the first, it's the first time you have a child. Olivia was born and she's this little baby and just, I mean, just as small as can be. And you just can't imagine that this is something that God lets you have a part of. And when she was, and when all of our babies were, were first born, I mean, you, just for months at a time, you just sit and look at them. And you just appreciate what God lets you have a part of. You know, it's right for us to stop and appreciate when something is done and it's done well and it's done good. It's, it's God's nature in us, the image of God in us to, to appreciate it. And listen, folks, we need to stop sometimes and we need to consider what God has done or what we've accomplished and enjoy it. That's part of God's nature or image in us. God wasn't tired. He was finished. Creation was complete and it was perfect. Can you imagine how incredible that creation was when only God had touched it? Can you imagine what the mountains looked like? Can you imagine how clear the waters were? Can you imagine how perfect the gardens were and the, and the trees? And can you imagine how amazing the animals probably looked? Can you imagine that on a planet at that point, there was no death. There was no fear. There was no sin. Just a perfectly formed man and woman and bearing God's image and fellowshipping with God. God took delight. God took pleasure in stepping back and viewing creation, his finished product. Unhindered fellowship. He enjoyed perfect rest after perfect work. Rest means to cease from labor and to sit back and just enjoy the accomplishment. And then we see a third verb, and it's very important too. And it's found in verse 3. It says, and God blessed. So the three verbs that we see that God ended his work, and then God rested from the work, and then God blessed the seventh day. Now, as we've already seen in this series, blessed means to enrich beyond its normal quality. And I'm just going to bring it up again because they are pretty life-changing. If you've seen the most stuff Oreos, okay? It's like quadruple the amount of cream as normal. You got, they're selling them in convenience stores, by the way. It's very convenient. You can just go pick them up now. You know, there's an Oreo, then there's a double stuff, and then there's like a mega, and then there's the most stuff. 
That's kind of like the word bless. I know that's a silly illustration, but it's that God takes something in its normal quality, it's good, but he, ex- he expands it beyond its normal quality. He gives it something extra that you wouldn't find otherwise. See, there was something different about the seventh day. God blessed the seventh day. Uh, this is the only day that God blesses. It's the only day that God, and that word means sanctified, it means set apart, and, and, and this is different. This is a holy day, set apart. This is a personal Sabbath or rest day for God. And notice, there's no description of this day using the phrase, and the evening and the morning were the seventh day. He does that with every other day, meaning there's a beginning of that day and an end of that day. Even in the verse 31 we just read, in in the evening and the morning were the sixth day. But when he comes to the seventh day, he doesn't say, and the evening and the morning were the seventh day, as if to signify signify that it has an end. Because this day is so blessed and so special and so set apart that God doesn't intend for this day to have an end. This is a day that will carry on as long as creation is here and as long as God is here and as long as mankind is on the earth. This is a day that was set apart for us to Uh, For God to take some time to just consider his work. This is a different kind of day. This is not like any other day. It's set apart. It's holy. It becomes clear then that God's intentions for the seventh day or or Saturday, the seventh day, as we know it, his intentions were that it would be a day set apart to remember God's work during creation. This holy set apart day, it's unlike all the other days. See, God didn't keep the the observation or the observance of the Sabbath for himself. He gave it to his people. See, the term Sabbath is not mentioned in the Bible specifically until Exodus 16. And we're not going to turn over there. But when Israel was brought out of Egypt and God was providing food for them in the form of manna, then he gave them some instruction and said, Six days shall ye gather the manna. But on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath day, the day of rest, in it shall there be no, there shall be none. There shall be no gathering of the manna. So by the language used there, it seems as if Israel already were aware of the importance of the seventh day. But if they weren't, God made it very clear there. And then he made it very clear again in Exodus chapter 20. Did anybody know that the Exodus, Exodus 20? What's significant about Exodus 20? It's the Ten Commandments. And if it wasn't clear to the children of Israel that the Sabbath day, the seventh day, Saturday, was an important day for them, it's obviously very clear in the book, in the book of Exodus chapter 20, when as the fourth commandment, God said, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. If there was ever a question before, there's certainly not one now. That commandment, you could read this, and we're not going to, but you could go and read, and there's more explanation about the, the Sabbath day and how to keep that commandment than any other commandment. God said, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But in the seventh day, it's the Sabbath day of the Lord thy God. In it shalt thou shalt not do any work. Thou, nor thy son, nor daughter, manservant, maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For, and here's why. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. There's not nearly that much um, instruction given for any of the other commandments. So do you get the idea that this day is important to God? Do you get it? Yeah. So God's people were to set aside one day a week to point back to creation. 
See, God's intentions were for Israel to set aside every seventh day to celebrate God's finished work. Not just his finished work, but God's greatness. God's great finished work. See, the Sabbath, and we're going to make a transition, so pay attention. We've got some movement going on. Pay, pay attention and try to follow here. The Sabbath pointed to God as their creator. They were his people, and it was the least they could do to give him a day to celebrate his mighty work in creation. You know what, folks? It's only right for God's people to take time and simply delight in the matchless character and the abilities of our creator. It's only right. But they see the Sabbath, it took on some other meanings. And um, in, in Exodus 31, Moses connected it. He said, it's as a sign between you and your God. And then in Deuteronomy 5, then he, he connected it to Israel's deliverance out of Egypt. But however the connection was made, it always went back to the greatness of God. He's not just some person that we celebrate. You know, the Sabbath day, the seventh day. This isn't just a, a day celebrating somebody that we would consider had a special achievement. This isn't just a, a President's Day or, or Washington's birthday. This isn't just Martin Luther King Jr. Day. This is not just the celebration of one person. And I don't mind doing that once a year. That's perfectly fine. But God is so much greater than anybody else we've ever met, anybody else we've ever known, that it's, that it's not enough to do it once a year. God says no one day every week. That would be appropriate for the greatness of our God. That would be appropriate for the kind of work that he did at creation. You see how this day is not just another day. Because we don't just serve another God. He's a special, different, creative, incredible, great, powerful God. All powerful. You say, well that sounds easy enough then. We'll take a day, we'll give it to God, Israel will. That sounds pretty, pretty simple. Give him one day a week, that's about him. It's, well, not so fast. See, in the middle of all this, God's plan for one day a week was set, but something happened. See, a problem arose not long after creation that skewed things. It's like the rest was interrupted. You ever been woken up in the middle of the night or from a really deep nap and you don't even know what planet you're on? One of our, our girls, she had this habit when she was about three or four. She would come, and I'd lay with my face usually toward the side of the bed, and, uh, and just I'd be sleeping, and she would come and just, she would put her face right next to my face in the dark and just breathe on me and wait for me to wake up. I'd be sleeping like peace, as peacefully as you can imagine, and you wake up, and it's like, there, I mean, you know something's there. And I can't tell you how many times the adrenaline rushed through my body because there's like an apparition right next to my face. My daughter would just have this habit of doing that. I'm not going to say which one it is. She's not in this room. That kind of singles her out. It's Lacey, okay? So she would just stand there. You know, when you get woken up like that, you can't hardly, you can't hardly function. You're so tired and, and you've been woken up. You don't even know what planet you're on. And, you, and well, rest was interrupted here in a much greater way. See, the rest that God intended, the completion of his work was supposed to be perfect. It was, it was ended. It was all done except for that command that he gave man in chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. When he said, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt, shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. You see, that one commandment Adam and Eve couldn't even obey. They disobeyed. And so God's purpose for the Sabbath 
to focus on creation as being complete and very good was altered by man's decision to disobey the one rule. You say, well, how was it altered? Well, just one chapter later, God had to curse the ground for Adam's sake. And I'm not trying to, I mean, maybe you've never made that connection before. But remember, when God created, it was all very good and it was complete and he rested and he blessed it because creation was that good. The next, the very next chapter, because Adam and Eve sinned, God had to curse the ground, the creation that he had just made. Out of the ground, there would be thorns and thistles. And can you imagine? It would be like painting. It's incredible painting. That's your life's work. And then having to go back and mark it all up with a razor blade. That's what happened here. God's saying, I'm gonna, we're going to take a day. We're just going to enjoy my complete finished work. Two chapter, to the next chapter, Adam and Eve sin, and now the ground is cursed. And there's thorns and thistles, and man has to work, and he has to sweat just to get the earth to produce for him now, whereas before, it just grew everything. And not only that, then the, 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 the man that he created and all the animals that he created, they would return back to the dust from which they came. This, this finished work that was so complete and so good is now marred by man's creation, or man's sin, I should say. That Sabbath, which should have been about creation, then became a burden for God's people. See, think about it. God had to turn this, what should have been just this time where you just sit back and you enjoy creation, he had to turn it into a law. It was no longer about something that we could just delight in and, and enjoy. No, it was no longer about just rest. It was about work. It was about labor. See, you had to keep the Sabbath in order to obey God. And like everything that man touches it took on a life of its own. The Pharisees, they took that, the, the Sabbath day that was supposed to be a, a day of rest and a day of enjoyment and a day of delight. And, and they, what should have been about ceasing from labor, they turned into a burden that people could hardly bear. They, they applied rules and regulations and they, they, it overtook the purpose of the Sabbath and it made it all about the law. What should have been all about ceasing from labor at once a week and celebrating God's greatness became the labor. When, when God works, it's complete and perfect. But when man interferes, it turns rest into labor. The children of Israel, they viewed this Sabbath. It was no longer a time where they could just sit and delight in God's creation. No, they viewed it as a drudgery. It was a weight to them. There were so many man-made restrictions that they could hardly enjoy it. They lost sight of the fact that it was originally meant to be for God. It was about God. And then another transition had to take place for the Sabbath. See, his first great work was what? What do we find in Genesis 1 is God's first great work? It's creation. Man messed it up. So God shifted his focus to the second great work. His second great work. Do you know what that one is? Redemption. See, the sins of mankind had to be paid for. And in the same passage in which God, which God curses the ground, he promises a savior in Genesis 3. That prophecy that pointed to Jesus Christ. And a few thousand years later, here comes this young woman named Mary. And she's great with child of the Holy Spirit. And she births a child and his name is Jesus. It's God's son born without sin. 
the only qualified sacrifice to pay for man's sin. He was perfect. I mean, kind of like creation, you just, there was nothing wrong. It was perfect. It was the finished product in character. He was the finished product. But Israel rejected him. And they put him on a cross. God's perfect son was hanging there. And it looked hopeless. It was a Friday. They crucified him on a Friday. The sixth day. Saturday was spent in despair. His disciples, um, they, they, had, they didn't have hope. I mean, Jesus Christ had been, had been crucified and buried in a tomb behind a big rock with a Roman seal on it. There was no way, you know, they thought he was going to come out, or maybe he could, but they didn't really, I don't know if they didn't believe it or not, but they didn't think it was possible now. The sixth day was spent in despair, uh, sorry, the seventh day was spent in despair, that Saturday was. But then Sunday came. The first day of the week. And suddenly everything changed. Because God's son didn't stay dead. Killed on a Friday, buried, and then Saturday full of despair. But that third day, he was alive again. And I know I'm not saying it loud enough or yelling it loud enough. I wish you could see how exciting that is in my heart. See, from that point on, the pattern of the New Testament church was altered See, the Jews met on the seventh day, or they didn't meet, but they took a day of rest for God on the seventh day. But after that, after Christ rose on Sunday, the first day of the week, they began meeting on the first day of the week, not, no longer the seventh day, in order to celebrate God's finished work, not creation, but God's finished work of redemption. Acts 27 says, upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. You know, you talk about needing rest. If we had church till midnight, you'd be appreciative of rest. But if we had, you know, 1 Corinthians 16 then says, upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. Listen, in those two verses, we see the first church, after Christ had ascended, we see them fellowshipping, we see them preaching, we see them teaching, we see them giving, no longer on the seventh day, but on the first day of the week. See, that Sabbath principle was transferred from Saturday, the seventh day, to Sunday, the first day. But the purposes remain the same. It's a day for God's people to rest and worship. Revelation 1 calls it the Lord's day. Folks, listen, our focus should be to cease from our labor and focus on worshiping God's goodness and greatness, specifically for his finished work of redemption. So how do we connect that to Genesis 2? Well, the pattern has been there from the beginning. Folks, God deserves one day a week for his people to stop their labor and focus on his great work. So I'm asking you a few questions. How much of a priority do you give to the Lord's day? Do you consistently give God at least one day a week? Do you treat Sunday as a holy, set-apart day in which you cease from other labor and you focus on His greatness and His finished work? Our culture's lost sight of the value and significance of setting apart a day for God that's all about God. See, in many places, uh, they'll have a, you know, there's a service early. Then the rest of the day can be for yourself and your family. 
I'm not even sure that really comes across as the idea for the Lord's Day. I mean, I, that's a convenient thing for a family to have a whole other day off. But if it's the Lord's Day, I don't know how we justify a meeting on a Friday night like some churches do. Or a Saturday evening or a Sunday morning really early and then we give the rest of the day to the family. If it's the Lord's Day... We see, our culture's lost sight of the importance of the Lord's Day. And now we're playing soccer on the Lord's Day. And now we've got concerts on the Lord's Day. And we've got tournaments. And now the Sunday brunch is, is the highlight of the week right at, right at 10 or 11 o'clock. We've ignored the Lord's Day. We're not giving it the proper attention. And it's not an issue of priority. I want you to remember something Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy is a commandment in the Ten Commandments. It doesn't expire as a moral obligation. So when we ignore the Lord's day or we don't give it the proper attention, it's not an issue of priority. It's an issue of morality. It's an issue of right or wrong. It's only right, folks. Wouldn't you agree? It's only right to stop and consider the mighty work of God for just one day a week. That's all he asks. Well, that's, that's the least that I could do. Don't forget this either, the Christian Sabbath. It's about the finished work of Christ on the cross. If you've been saved, don't forget what Sundays are about. Don't just go through the motions. If we come to church and we just go through the motions and we never consider the finished work of Christ on the cross, then we're no better than the Pharisees who added law and law and rule and rule upon the Sabbath day to make it a drudgery for the children of Israel. If all we're doing is going through the motions, we have lost sight of what the Lord's Day is all about. You are celebrating God's great work of redemption in your own life. He deserves it. To God be the glory. That's why we stress the importance, even not just of church services, but of keeping our focus on the Lord during the services. And I didn't say it this morning, but you know, that's why I think we ought to put our cell phones away when we come to church. I don't know if it's this way for you, but a cell phone is a distraction for me most of the week. I think you ought to bring a Bible. Turn the phone off and bring your Bible in and use a Bible. Where else are you going to use that Bible the rest of the week? We use our phones for everything else. And if I'm using a phone for Netflix, I don't want to use it for a Bible too. And that's why we focus on things like um, setting everything aside. That's why, folks, we have a nursery and on Sunday mornings, I, I mean, I, at, least, at least for our folks especially, we ought to have our children in child care. Have them in the nursery, have them in Sunday school. I don't know, not everybody uh, agrees with that or wants to practice, and I understand that. But the reason we do that is not to be mean and, and separate families. It's because that kids sometimes, they don't behave. I don't know, if you're, maybe yours do, but sometimes mine don't behave. And I want to focus on the Lord and we ought to put our focus on the Lord. And, and it's not like kids are a distraction, but sometimes they're not ready to sit in church. And if the Lord's Day is a priority for us, we ought to be willing to do some things that are inconvenient for us so that God can be focused on. That's why we don't just have one service in the morning. We have a, a service in the evening as well. It's not because there aren't better things to do with our time. I'm telling you, it would be nice to have a whole Sunday after lunch and just spend the whole day as a family. It'd be nice. But it's the Lord's day. I could have a lot more reason to justify spending all day in church than I could spending just a little part of the day and giving the rest to my family. 
We ought to be mindful. This is not a small thing. The Lord's day is important to him, so important to him that he blessed it. And he said, it's never going to have an end. That's how much I want you to focus on the finished work. And as great as the finished work of creation is, don't you think the finished work of salvation deserves the, Lord, or the Lord's day, a whole day? Our focus, being at every service. Now, some in this room, you've no reason to celebrate the Lord's day if you've never received Christ's finished work of redemption in your life. See, you'll, if, you'll, if you've never received him, you, you won't fully appreciate the purpose of a Sunday. This is not about checking off spiritual duty, and it's not about making someone happy that you showed up, and, and you don't get points for being here. This day is about the completion of redemption. It's about the fact that Christ's blood on the cross paid for our sins, and he had victory over, over death in, from rising up from the grave. But you miss all of that if you've never received that payment for your sins. And there's someone, I, I pretty much guarantee in a, in a group this size, there's somebody in here who's never enjoyed the finished work of redemption. They've never received Christ as your Savior. Listen, it's not about your work. You could work a thousand lifetimes and you still not gain your redemption. Your sin has placed distance between you and God that you'll never make up in your own labor. Salvation is impossible by works. Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. You must place your faith in Christ's finished work. And if you do, you can enjoy the finished, completed work of redemption in your life this morning. Don't let the opportunity pass you by. God is a God of rest and he wants you to have rest. But you'll never find it apart from his finished work. Before Christ, God's people went through a process. Think about the process here. You work all week. You rest from your work and focus on God. Then you go back to work. And a lot of people, that's their spiritual life. They think in order to please God, I have to work and work and work. Or in order to be saved, I've got to work and work and work. And then, you know, you rest for a little bit. But then you go right back to work. That was the old process. But when Christ came a new process came along. See, it used to be there was no end to the labor. They had to continually keep the law. Every week there was an obligation to give the Lord his day. But that's how it's different for us. See, our process now is this. Christ did the work. We rest in the work. Then we work because of Christ. And it's different now. See, Christ's work was that God gave us the free gift of salvation. In John three sixteen. he finished the work in John 19, 30, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. He paid our sin debt. That word finished. Go back to it. You, you look at the word Genesis 2. It says, in the, thus the heavens and the earth were finished. The great work of creation was finished and the work of salvation is finished. Jesus Christ did everything you'll ever need to be saved. Our rest is we can now experience rest because of Christ's work on the cross. And just like after creation, listen, God looks at us and he calls us new creatures. Now we labor not in order to please God, but because of what God has done for us. Ephesians 2 says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. We labor because the work is finished. We get to enjoy rest. Because of his finished work. So do you want the rest? Do you want rest in your heart? Do you want rest in your life? It's time to cease from your labor. 
Stop searching in the wrong places. When our lives are about our labor, we'll always be weary. And that's why there's no rest in many hearts. And there's no rest in most homes. And there's no rest in many marriages. There's no rest on vacation or even on a day off. There's no rest even when we try to sleep at night. Instead of rest, we're just trying to escape. But friend, rest can be found. But only once we cease from our labor and trust in God's work. Three ways to ensure your rest. One, rest in Christ's finished work on the cross. Today, he comes and he offers you salvation, but it's not of works, lest any man should boast. You won't find rest if you labor for salvation. The work is done. Second, rest in God's strength and wisdom to live your life. And you're spinning your wills. You're trying to do it all on your own. And you forget that you have a guidebook that tells you how to live and gives you wisdom. And you have the strength of God at your disposal. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And yet you're trying to do it on your own. And it's time to go back to God's wisdom and strength. Stop spinning your wheels. So rest in Christ's finished work. Rest in God's strength and wisdom. And rest by making the Lord's Day a priority every week. See, that's how God rewards those who make God rewards those who make His day a priority. He blesses. And if we will make important what He says is important, He'll give us rest. Matthew 28, or I'm sorry, 11, 28 through 30 says, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, you're spinning your wheels. And I will give you what? Rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. In other words, I have a yoke and you take a yoke next to me, but I'll be doing all the work. You're going to just learn from me. He says, for I'm meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find what? Rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Rest is available and it's available for you. You can have rest from your labor. You have to come to the end of your labor and trust in God's work. He's a God who delights in his finished work. And he wants his people to enjoy that same rest. But it can only come as we cease our labor and rest in his finished work, both in salvation and in the strength to live our Christian lives. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.